When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 258 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins had a season-long four-game losing streak. It was not pretty, but they did put an end to it in Buffalo with a 4-1 win over the Sabres. We're going to get into our opening shifts, but before we do that, I am very, honestly, very proud, Bridget, to to throw this over to you. You have some exciting news to share um, with some uh, 2024 endeavors for you. Let's let's, let's Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) So I can finally announce that I've had um, in the works a few different things for my career, so uh, back in December, I got hired for the doing the women's bean pot. Uh, so I'll be broadcasting all four of those games on Nesson, and we will have a great all-female crew. Uh, Sophia Yerkesovich will also be part of that broadcast, hosting the intermission. So we'll be doing all four games for that, um, which is exciting because it'll be the first time the women's bean pot uh, championship game will be played at TD Garden. So I know everybody on the women's side of things is really happy about that. And I'm happy to be a part of that as well. And then after that, I actually got some even bigger news. I also got hired to be one of the broadcasters for the PWHL Boston team. So I just signed my contract yesterday. Um, And that home opener for Boston is January 3rd. So we're right. We're almost at the season. It's less than a week away. Um, So really excited to be part of that league as it starts up. Um, and now I have a lot more work guys, but, uh, I'll still be here. I'll still be with you. Um, I'm just going to be really freaking busy. So have fun trying to, uh, pick a time for us to record because luckily I'm doing the home games only. If I was traveling, this would probably be impossible, but no, I will still be here. Um, doing the podcast, going to the Bruins games, doing my other two jobs at hockey East and Providence, but, um, two exciting little new job opportunities for me. So thanks for letting me uh, announce that here. Yeah. And I obviously echo Brian that it's awesome and we're very proud of you and extremely well-deserved. Um, anyone who's, you know, listened to to Bridget doing a college hockey broadcast knows she's very good at that. So um, yeah, just the bean pot for sure, but especially the w- and, uh, PWHL like that's, that's really exciting. Um, I'm excited for that league. I think I'm gonna, probably going to go to that opener. Uh, it's right down the street from me at the Sanga Center in Lowell. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of the best women's players in the world in that league. So mm-hmm. that you know, hopefully, hopefully they they hit the ground running and uh, give us some great women's hockey. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to be played at the Sanga Center up in Lowell, which that's what Scott's referring to. Really close to to Scott where he lives. Um, and actually the Toronto, Ottawa and Montreal home openers are all sold out already. Like Toronto's entire season uh, is sold out. 
believe it or not. Um, and they're playing at the old Maple Leafs Gardens uh, up in Toronto. So um, the Canadians are all over this. Uh, we we got to get we got to get the Americans on board, too. But I know there was a lot of support for the Boston Pride. And hopefully that transfers over to the new Boston PWHL team. Yeah, I was, I, was looking, I was looking at tickets the other day like, just for the heck of it. And there are still some left. So, you know, if people want to go, they can still get tickets. But um, it wasn't a ton. Like, it, there were a bunch of sections in the song that said, at least for the opener, said, like, limited availability. So uh, definitely it seems like, you know, there's some excitement. And that's obviously a much bigger venue than where – the pride play, which you know, mm-hmm. their games were in warrior. Um, I love Songus. Songus is one of the best places to broadcast. It's also like newly renovated. I don't know actually when the renovations were, but it looks really nice. Um, I love broadcasting there. And if, if it adds to anyone, come say hi to me. I will say hi to any of our podcast listeners. If you want to come up to me before the game and just say hello, um, I will be more than happy to, and I'll bring some Scott's pop stickers. I'll hand those out. Uh, <laughs> so I'm excited for that. It's coming up quick. I'm really cramming for it because a lot of information to try to get together about, you know, all of these new players in this new league, but I'm excited for it. Now, one thing you don't have to memorize just yet is, is team names, just cities, right? The teams don't have cities. It's kind of like the Washington football team. It's like the Boston PWHL team. That is who I'm broadcasting for named to be determined. A lot is to be determined right now, but Name. I want them to wait on the name though, because I want it to be a good name. Okay, <laughs> it needs take some time. Take some time. Think about it. Make it good. I know. What would be? A, I'm trying to think. Put us on the spot here. What a what a good what a good name would be for a Boston team. Maybe we can think of one by the end of the podcast. Whatever. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll bring it. Oh I'll bring it to my bosses later. Okay. Hey, they should just since they're in Lowell, they should just bring back the Lowell Lock Monsters. Just be the Lowell. Lock <laughs> Wouldn't it it'd be the Boston Lock Monsters? Yeah, it would have to be Boston. You know what I'm saying? Just, just throw Lowell on there. We'll, we'll adopt them. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, Bridget, that's awesome news and, and very exciting. Uh, so, uh, as it pertains to the Skate Podcast and the Bruins and the in recent games and news, yeah, let's just dive right into it. We've had a few days off, obviously, for the holiday. So, um, there's, what, three or four games maybe that we, we missed. Um, but we're going to talk about them now. So, opening shifts. And, and Scott, why don't we start with you? Well, the vibes have totally changed for this team. Uh, you know, the last time we recorded, I think they lost two in a row, so there's starting to be some negative vibes, and then they lost two more after that going into Christmas break uh, in Winnipeg and Minnesota. Um, really just played poorly in those two games, especially the Winnipeg game. They, you know, started a little better against the Wild, but then fell apart. Um Seems like the Christmas break just came at a perfect time for them. Uh, a lot of the the talk after practice today was just about kind of mental mentally resetting, um, you know, getting away from getting their minds away from the game a little bit over Christmas, and then just coming back with a better attitude yesterday in Buffalo. Jim Montgomery even said that you know he he noticed himself kind of getting negative about things and was able to reset and kind of come back to the rink on Tuesday with, with a more positive approach. And then when they got on the ice for practice on Wednesday, they hit the ice to an awesome atmosphere at warrior uh, with it being school vacation week. It was packed. It was standing room only. There were a ton of kids, obviously on vacation um, signs, chanting, 
cheering, like reacting to big saves and goals. Like it was, it was great. It was a great atmosphere. And I think the players fed off that Montgomery said it was the best practice they've had in a long time. Um, so yeah, it's amazing just what, you know, a couple of days and a little bit of a reset can, can do for a team because now it's, you know, seems like everyone's feeling, feeling really good about themselves. And that was not the case four days ago. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. Those practices are, aren't they open to the public? Yeah. You can really just kind of head in there and, and enjoy them. And as, you know, as a hockey fan, if I, if I lived closer and I was like a young kid, I would, I would have gone all the time. Uh, and I have seen some cute moments there because, um, this was actually at their old practice rink, but Charlie McAvoy, there was this one uh, fan who had autism and Charlie McAvoy was just coming out of BU and he was like his biggest fan at BU. And he like had a sign and was cheering for him and Charlie came over and took some pictures with him. So like there's, you, there's an opportunity to kind of get closer and, and see a little bit different side of the the players a little bit closer up for people who want to go to practice. Um, it's, it's a good option. I will go to my opening shift, which is quick before you do yours um it, it was full like an hour ahead of time because i think i don't know exactly how the public finds out like what time practices are or whatever but i think a lot of people thought it was an 11 a.m practice which most of theirs are today was actually a noon practice because they got back late from buffalo and i got there at 11 30 and it was already standing room only and from what i understand like it was packed by 11 a.m so uh an hour ahead of time and you know everyone just stayed and seemed to have a great time yeah yeah no i mean go if you if you live there walk right over um but yeah so i'll get to my opening shift so for me a huge difference in this game after the break in buffalo was the power play um and so they go three for four on the power play which and it was clicking better than it has been in the previous, I don't know how many games it's been, it's been a while since it's really been clicking well. And it was really coming from that second power play unit too. Charlie Coyle um, and Jake DeBrusque working really well on the power play together on that second unit. Uh, Pasternak and Marshawn were out there, I believe for both of those power play goals. Uh, Cause Pasta stays out there for both units. Like he's out there pretty much the entire power play. Um, but I think one of the main reasons why they were able to dominate the game the way they did was Buffalo took a lot of penalties and the Bruins were able to capitalize on the power play. Yeah, the power play was great. And, you know, it's also, uh, it leads into another discussion about their five on five generation and, and lack thereof and lack of production there, but at least the, the power play and the special teams came through against Buffalo. Uh, for me, I, I think that this this slide has been a good thing for the Bruins. I've been I, I, I've seen it coming for a while. I talked about it a few weeks ago how I didn't think this team was as good as their record indicated that they were. Um, and at the time that was the best team in the NHL or maybe second. And you know, I, I just what I was watching just wasn't that. I ha- even even last night in in the win in Buffalo, like, like all year I haven't really seen a Bruins team that's just dominated possession five on five and really impose their will. It's it's kind of, you know, it's a team that has really strong goaltending, enough up front, you know, obviously a good back end, but just kind of, they, they do enough to get wins. Um, but you don't always love the way they look doing it. And I think that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't need the Bruins to be playing their best hockey um, in December as opposed to April. I'm just, 
I just knew that this team wasn't as good as the record indicated, and I wasn't allowing myself to be fooled by it. And then here comes the the, the four-game losing streak where they looked pretty damn bad in, uh, in that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, they're obviously not that bad, but they're somewhere in between. Um, so, so this win against Buffalo, like, I just think it's important for them because it's important for them to get slapped in the face a few times throughout the course of the season, which they did. And honestly, the losing streak could have gone a couple extra games. Uh, I wouldn't really have cared. I, I didn't view Buffalo as a must win. Like I, I think that they have enough cushion in the standings, like keep, you know, keep, keep getting humbled, right. Keep, keep learning tough lessons. And, but they did pull out the win in Buffalo. And so it seems as though that the break was a good reset for them. Um, I just think it was a good thing for them. I can't watch this team and, and, and you know, coast through regular season thinking that they're, you know, uh, God's gift to, to, to this earth when, when they have, they have deficiencies and they have to, they have to know to work on them. Um, and so I think it was a good thing for them. I still think that the roster, um, needs some upgrades. This current group though, they needed this, I think, and whatever they do going forward, they'll be better off for it. Yeah, and you know who agrees with you is the Bruins, um, because they, they've, whether it's Montgomery or players, they've all you know said something along similar lines as to what you're just saying, which is like, you know, last year they didn't face really any adversity in the regular season, certainly not much of it. I think, I think they had one three game losing streak in there, um, but you know they've all kind of said like these are these are the things that you grow from as a team over the course of the season and. You know, certainly Montgomery obviously has the most experience, has been around the game the most, so he you know knows it knows it best. But he's he's talked about that about how um, you know it's it's he said today like you hate it when you're going through it and you get into like a dark space where you wonder like oh my god are we ever going to get out of it? How do we turn it around? And then he said when you come out the other side, you realize like you've learned the lessons. And you've learned things about yourself and how you need to play. And, you know, that you're not going to just go out and dominate like last year's team did. Um, you know, he used the word overwhelm. He said, you know, last year they were able to just overwhelm opponents. And they can't do that this year. Like, that's – it's a difference between winning on talent and winning on hard work. And last year's team, I think, worked hard. Don't get me wrong. But they won a lot of games on talent. And that's not a luxury that this year's team – really going to have like if they don't they don't work hard they're gonna lose to pretty much anyone and if they're playing a good team like winnipeg who's rolling they're gonna get their doors blown off and like that can be a really humbling experience yeah and and i i i think buffalo was probably a great team to come out of the break against and uh because you know they're not they're not a terrible team uh, we thought maybe they might even be you know a wild card team this year at some point it's not too late for them still um, but they also were without it's, it's getting It's getting late, get, getting late. It's early getting a though. little late, but you know, they haven't given up yet. Uh, uh, so, uh, it, it did, it was a setback for them though, that they were without Tage Thompson who didn't play for a personal reason. Um, and that's obviously a huge part of their five on five offense and their power play. Um, and to just kind of like expand on my lead a little bit more into the special teams as a whole, the Bruins killed off all, all six penalties that they got. Um, once again, some weird officiating Marshawn getting, uh, consecutive penalties because he litters the penalty box and freaks out because he doesn't like the cross-checking call. 
Um, and you know, some of that has to be taken out of the game <laughs> though, though I do know why he was so pissed, um, and can completely understand that. Uh, and you know, maybe the ref should have just looked the other way on that. Some of them will, some of them won't. Uh, but the Bruins ended up taking six penalties. And there was at one point in the game where it was like so many penalties, both sides consecutively, where it was like five on four, four on four, four on three, five on three, five on four. Like it just kept going back and forth. So special teams was all over the place in this game, but the Bruins definitely won the special teams battle. Yeah. You had the rare situation where the Bruins took a penalty and the manpower didn't change because they literally couldn't take another player off the ice. Like, yeah, they all already only had three people yeah. on the ice. So, yeah, that that definitely got bunched up with the penalties there in the middle. But you're right, Bruin, you know, Bruin special teams was was dominant. And, Brian, you mentioned five-on-five. Five. Like, I know the Bruins end up only scoring once five-on-five, five, but I did think they, for the most part, controlled play at five-on-five five as well. And I thought it was one of their better five-on-five five games recently, um, especially like the middle six lines. I thought the Marchand coiled DeBrusque line, um, you know, obviously they, they scored two power play goals with DeBrusque setting up coil, but I thought five on five, that was maybe the best, the best game in a while that like a Marchand coil line has played. I've, I've talked about how I get, I didn't think they had very much chemistry at times and didn't really seem to be clicking. Uh, I thought they looked pretty good. And then, the, the third line, sort of the mismatch line of uh, Van Riemsdyk, Frederick, and Heinen, I thought that line had a good game too. So um, some encouraging signs there as well, even though, yeah, special teams is, is the big story. And, you know, not for nothing, and I, I know we already talked about Charlie Coyle and how good he is on the penalty kill, but he also was a huge part. Like you said, he was great five on five. He scores two power play goals. He also did a great job on the penalty kill. So did Jake DeBrusque. I just because of the conversations we've had around Jake DeBrusque this season and in particular recently, I just kind of find myself watching him, like trying to watch the play, but also trying to watch him specifically and, you know, where he's working, where he's hustling, just to, just to like make sure I'm not crazy and make sure I'm not like missing him, like slowly going through a puck. Like from what I saw on his penalty kill, he was working really hard on the power play. He was working hard. I just thought he had a really, um, he had a game where you can't go, Oh, you know, you should have hustled a little harder. It, to me, he looked like he was working hard in all in, in all strengths. You know, uh, power play, penalty kill, even strength. I, and we'll get to him a little bit later. But I just wanted to point that out about like the special teams, him and Coyle when they're the two forwards on the ice. I thought they did really well. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, so another thing too that's that I, I think is pretty evident. I think is right now the way that this this roster is constructed. Personnel-wise, I I don't think it's wise to have Marshan and Pashnak on the same line. I just don't think uh, there's not enough uh, high-end, probably skill to load up just one line uh, because I just think it depletes the rest of the lines, right? So in a situation like last night where you have them on separate lines, I think that's good. I think it's better for the Bruins. Um, I don't know if you guys feel the same way about keeping them apart. Yeah, I I agree, and part of the reason I agree is that. When Marsha and Pasta have been together, that line hasn't been dominant. Like, in fact, it's struggled at times. Um, so, in, unless you're loading them up and getting like a truly dominant top line that can take over games, then I might understand it because there's going to be times where you might just need that. It might 
you might just be in a game where you just need your stars to take over. And if they're on the same line, that helps you do it. But if they're not really playing like that and they're kind of up and down and, you know, they have a couple good games and then a couple quiet ones, like that really doesn't do any, do you any good. So yeah, you might as well spread them out and try to get, um, you know, even if you don't have one dominant line, at least a couple lines or ideally three, even four that, um, can chip in and create chances on any given night. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I have a question for you guys regarding center ice. And I know we talked about at length with Bridget. Do you have something to, to say right there? No, you're just yawning. No, but I'm, I know what you're going to here. And I'm this, I want to talk about, okay. I know what you're going to, I'm reading so, your mind. Yes. T- we have that chemistry. Uh, I've been line mates for a couple of years now. Um, we're like the, the perfection pod. Um, so, Pavel Zaka gets moved to the wing for Morgan Geeky. Now, Matt Potch is in juniors right now, so he's not an option. Georgie Merkulov is in Providence and hasn't played a game for the Bruins. So as we currently speak, he's not an option. As we currently speak. So when you listen I was going to say, a little more on that later, too. Yeah, a little more on that later, for sure. But time even- out, time out. Every time we say something like this, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll record, we'll post, and then it'll be like five minutes in, like five minutes after I put it up, it's like, Georgie Merkulov. Do we jump ahead? We're going to talk about, I want to talk about Merkulov. So we're going to get there. I won't forget Bridget. Should we we just jump ahead and say, so Merkulov's been called up and what do you guys think? (laughs) Just pretend, (laughs) yeah. Probably. Um, But even even if Merkulov. Like like choose your own adventure. Listen to these next 10 minutes if the Bruins call them up on Friday. Skip over that if they don't. Right. right, Exactly. But even if even if he were to get called up, right at the NHL level, he's still an unknown, so you can't even rely on that, right? But the Bruins move Zaka to the wing. Um, obviously, Coyle's playing like a top two center this year. You know, Zaka point wise is, but well, borderline. But I guess my question for you guys is, like, do they envision Zaka being on the wing long term with this current grouping of forwards? I don't think he's too good of a talent to, to not have as one of your top two centers. Like you don't want more than geeky as one of your top two centers. Do you? Well, that actually was what I was going to say. And I think that they're, what they're kind of saying is Morgan geeky right now is playing more comfortably as a center than, than, you know, first of all, than he is playing as a wing, but maybe even more so than, than what they've seen from Zaka at center. So I think the fact that Morgan geeky has had such a strong game since first of all, Zaka was out and now Patra, is in world juniors. I think he's kind of try, almost like digging out that center role. And I, I do think he played decent on the wing, but he, you can tell a difference in, in his confidence when he plays at center. So um, I think that bumps Zaka over, which sounds a little bit counterintuitive because we talked about this maybe being their long-term option for the center top line center, or at least second line center. Um, so it changes that. And I think I have a different opinion than you two about whether or not I want Zaka to play wing because I know you guys aren't really for it, but 
I actually like when he plays left wing and I think that it opens up different combinations um, that, you know, you can maybe try out. And, and there was one time earlier in the season and we're talking about when Patra comes back here that they had Zaka Patra pasta. And I would like to see that again at some point. So like just the fact that both Kiki and Zaka can be versatile and play either wing or center, I think helps. Yeah, I don't. So Montgomery was asked about this on Thursday, and I think he was specifically asked, like, do you want to take a longer look at Zach on the wing? And he said, not basically, not necessarily. What I want to take a longer look at is Geeky playing between Zach and Pasternak, um, which I don't have a problem with. Again, you're still technically you're still in the first half of the season. So I, I've said this before with like line changes. I have no problem seeing lots of different combinations and people in different spots and just see what you have and give things a few games and see how it looks. Like it's good to know all these things going forward down the line, you know, Hey, can Morgan Geeky move up in the lineup and center these guys? Can Pavel Zaka move over to the wing and, you know, play the way he played on the wing last year? Or is he so set at center now that he's going to struggle on the wing? Those are just good things to figure out. So I don't have an issue with it. Um, I would say talking longer term, I guess what concerns me with this current lineup is like if Zaka's on the wing, as good as Morgan Geeky has played recently, I still have a hard time imagining him being a legitimate top two center long term on a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. Maybe I'm just underestimating him. Maybe he'll blow me away, but. I just don't see him as that kind of player long-term. What I do look at is, hey, when you slide Pavel Zaka over to the wing, boy, doesn't that open up a spot for someone like, I don't know, Elias Lindholm? But that's obviously down the road as well. I don't think that trade's happening now. So, um, yeah, I think with the current roster, I still think you're probably at your best with Zaka at center but I have no problem in the shorter term seeing how this looks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think – I agree with all that, actually. Like, I, I don't have an issue with it right now. You kind of – it's a long it's a long season. You want to see different looks and and find different ways to motivate guys and, and reward guys and, and send messages to guys, right? It's kind of a indictment on Zaka a little bit, too, that he got to get pushed to the wing because if he was lighting it up, uh, you know, he, they probably wouldn't have moved him. Um, but I don't see Morgan Geeky as somebody who has the foot speed to keep up with, uh, you know, top centers in this league when, when the hockey matters most in the springtime, I just don't see it. It's not that he's not a smart player or a crafty player or knows where to go, where to be. I just think there's a, and I, again, Scott, you said it, maybe I'm underestimating him too, but visually I, I don't see the foot speed there to keep up with, the, you know, the top centers in the Eastern conference, if you were to match up against them. So uh, if this is the second half of the season, for me, it has to be Zaka has to be a top two center uh, with Coil and or Potter or whatever. Um, and that's, a, you know, that's without knowing any potential trade down the line as well. I do think, though, that like you mentioned, you've said underrated a few times about Kiki. I think he is and I think he still has more to show. And I think he's been looking for a team to actually like give him a chance with his skill set, because I feel like when he was in Seattle, 
um, which by the way, he got taken in the expansion draft and, and ended up over there and they'd never really found like a true role for him. He was playing on the fourth line. So when he has this opportunity to play up in the lineup, he's probably thinking to himself, like, this is, this is a great opportunity and I can actually show what I can do. And he's, you know, he signed a two year contract, $2 million a year with the Bruins. They found somebody that was better than what the rest of the league thought he was. So that's exactly what you're trying to do in the offseason is identify someone that you can bring in and afford, which, you know, $2 million, they they could afford that contract. They didn't have a lot of cap space, but that was actually going to outperform what people thought of him. And I think he has so far. So the bar, I think the bar was low. They expected it to be low, but he's kind of just like moving it up and up and up and showing that he's he can do better than just play, you know, fourth line center. Uh, he can play anywhere in the lineup. Yeah, and in some ways it's a little similar to the bet that they made on Zaka, which is talented player, has kind of been moved around, maybe been a little lower in the lineup on another team, and you give him a little more of an opportunity and see if he can run with it. And obviously it paid off with Zaka, you know, again, taking like the bigger picture of like, can he be your number one center long term? Just in terms of he's clearly established himself as top six forward whether you think he's a center or wing and that was an opportunity he really wasn't getting in jersey um so yeah geeky you know not as highly touted like zach was the number six overall pick um geeky i think was a third round pick maybe but always had talent like put up big offensive numbers in juniors um but yeah just ended up lowering the lineup in carolina lowering the lineup in Seattle, and we talked about it over the summer. Like I mentioned, sort of, you know, the analytics showed that he, you know, in terms of like five on five points for 60 minutes, like there were really good signs there, especially when it came to playmaking assists. Um, and you wonder, you know, hey, can that translate? If we give him more five on five minutes, can he continue to produce at that kind of rate against tougher competition, playing with better players? Um, and you, you didn't really see it early on this season in part because he moved around a little bit then got hurt, but yeah, you, you do see it now as he gets an opportunity on the top line next to Pasternak on the top power play unit, um, you see him putting up more points. So, like I said, I still have questions about whether that is sustainable long-term, but for now, yeah, great for him. Like he's definitely taking taking advantage of an opportunity. Okay. So we have a couple of more topics to get to, but before that, maybe we should uh, shift over to uh, the who's up and the who's down. Uh, So I think (laughs) you might not hear this too often. So I would, I would, I would open your ears nice and wide, but for Brian, Jake DeBrusque is up right now. Jake DeBrusque. He's up. He's up. He's awake. He's awake. The alarm went off. He pressed news for, you know, the entire season. But here, here we are on December, uh, you know, December 28th, and, and he woke up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but he did get two assists against Buffalo. And I could be a cynic, guys, and sit here and say, well, the second assist he got, I mean, Charlie Coyle was trying to pass it to to the ref. It wasn't even meant to be a goal. Um, and that they were both, both assists came on the power play. I could be a cynic and say that. 
But you I'm are not, a cynic, so, not, and you just I, did say that. <laughs> I, I could be, I could be a cynic and say that, but I won't be. I will sit here and say that uh, that he did get two assists on those plays, and he was doing it because he made the right plays. Um, you know, the first assist, he he took the puck around the net and like was just. It's a smart play. It's a skillful play, a skillful pass to Coyle in front. But what I like about the second assist, all joking aside, is that, you know, for all DeBrus knows, when he passed that puck to Coyle, Coyle snaps it in for a nice goal. Um, but he did win a race to that loose puck, um, and he did absorb body contact in getting that pass to Coyle. Uh, so why I was being facetious earlier about the being cynical, but like that, like that's a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's doing what it takes to, to make a smart play. And, um, you know, so Scott could probably say to me like, well, Brian, he's made a ton of plays this year where he's made plays like that, but the puck didn't end up going in for somebody and it could have led to potential points in the past. And, that, and that's, that's fair. I, that is fair. But I, I will say last night the, the assist happened. So you have to give him credit for, for finding the score sheet. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, like I think I mentioned this at the time, but there was one game it's either like early in the four game losing streak or maybe just before that, where he set up Pasternak for two chances, almost exactly like the ones Coyle buried. And, you know, oddly enough, like Coyle buries those. And in that other game I'm talking about, Pasternak didn't. Like, I think the goalie made a great save on one. And I think he might have shot it like into his chest on the other. But yeah, I was, I was talking to Charlie Coyle after practice on Thursday and asked him, like, because I had talked to him. Last week, asked him about like DeBrus, you know, kind of slumping or whatever. And um, I asked, you know, I asked him, like, do you find that? Because by the way, Coyle snapped his own six game pointless streak. Both of them had, got, had gone six games without a point. Um, and I was like, you know, can setting up goals like bring that confidence back the same way goals can? And he was like, I, I think so, especially when it's like the direct primary assist like that like when you're the one making the key pass to set up the goal so yeah if you're the Bruins obviously you hope that that does get DeBrus going and that he feels a little better about himself and it's you know you also hope that like what he realizes is the revert right like how did you get an assist on those goals because Charlie Coyle was right in front with a stick on the ice ready to shoot like Jake DeBrus can also be in those situations, be set up right in front with a stick on the ice ready to shoot, and someone else sets him up. So just all around, like I think good to just see plays like that work for him, where it's like, oh, okay, like we got the puck to the front, someone was there and they buried it and you know, scored from really in close. Um now if you see DeBrus score a couple of those, like that's sort of the last step now that's needed is great. He's, he's setting up line mates, got a couple points. That's good. Like you, you want those points on your, you know, next to your name. Now it's going to be okay. Still needs the goals. He still needs some finishes like that himself. Yeah. And so we've kind of already touched on two guys that I would also say were ups and Morgan Geeky's one. We've already talked a little bit about him, but just to expand a little bit further, goals in back-to-back games, uh, three points in the last four games, just and just the you know the eye test, um, going to the right uh, parts of the ice, using his body the right way, going to the net. Um, Morgan Geeky, kind of self-explanatory, is an up, and 
the other one is Charlie Coyle, who we talked about um, being the goal scorer on those plays that DeBrusque made. Um, and he needs to get back into that uh, the way that stretch that he was playing earlier in the season, where once again we we did the segment and we were you know praising what Charlie Coyle was able to do, but he has the skill set in front of the net too. Like we've seen him use there on the power play, not as often recently, but still occasionally. Um, so he has that skill set right in front of the net that he can roof it like that. He's he's a good goal scorer, um, and now you kind of see him being the leader of that line. Uh, Marshawn, you know, we, we mentioned him playing next to Marshawn. Sometimes Marshawn takes it over, but you'd love to see Coyle take it over too at different times and, and use his skills to, cause he can just as easily set up the Rusk in front of the net or Marshawn in front of the net. So you can really see the potential of that line. They just need to play more to it. And you saw it. I know we mentioned this was on the power play, but, uh, you know, even strength, don't see why you couldn't do it. Even strength either. Obviously, you have a little bit more space to work with and, and an advantage on the power play. But, you know, you, you could you could do those same things five on five. So I think Coyle was back on the up, like you mentioned. Uh, having a two-goal game is always good. Uh, making an impact on the power play is always good. And like we mentioned, he was great five on five and shorthanded as well. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Uh, and up for me is Mason Lorai, who scored the first goal Wednesday night. Um, Danton Heine gets a poke check. Lorai makes a good play to step up, win possession. Dishes over to Trent Frederick for the zone entry and then doesn't just pull up or stop at the point. He drives the net. Van Reemsite throws a shot on and he's perfect spot to bury a rebound. Um, I think Mason Lorai in general has been playing better and looking more confident and comfortable at the NHL level. And that probably flew a little bit under the radar during the losing streak where I think, you know, and we were maybe even guilty of this, like, just like, Oh, well, the whole team stinks. But to me, like the Bruins problems during that losing streak really started with their top players, not playing well. It wasn't, it wasn't really an issue of depth to me. Like I, I didn't look at like their third pairing or, fourth line and be like, wow, these guys suck. You can't play them. Like, no, it was like Pasternak and Marchand and McAvoy aren't showing up and playing like, you know, they're capable of. So I think, I think Laura actually had a couple decent games during that stretch. Um, and just like put some numbers on it. Laura's first 12 NHL games when he was on the ice at five on five, Bruins got outscored 13 to seven and had just 40% of the shots on goal. In his last six games, when he's been on the ice at five on five, Bruins have outscored their opponents five to one and have 56% of shots on goal. So it's really completely flipped that him, the goal's nice. Him being involved offensively is nice. Him being on the ice for just one goal against in the last six games, really encouraging uh, given where he was earlier this year. Yeah, he's plus four in his last six games. So he's in before that he'd been putting up mostly, you know, minus one or or even. So, you know, he's he's putting up, you know, plus numbers in the last six games. And and also you see his intelligence in terms of offense. Like on that goal that he scored, which not for nothing was the first goal of the game and kind of kind of sparked a little bit of offense after that, he he saw what was happening. He saw that you know, there was going to be a shot and he was either going to be open for like a backdoor pass or to 
taking the, the puck um, on the rebound and he saw that it was open and he took it. Um, he's got a smart offensive mind and not every Bruins defenseman would have drove to the net there, uh, but he knew he could do it and that there were guys behind him and, and he made the right play and, and it's perfect. I don't know if Van Reams like meant to pass it off the pads. It kind of looked like he did, but you know, maybe that was just an honest, like low shot trying to score five hole or something by Van Reams. Maybe it was intentionally trying to pop the rebound out to whoever was crashing the net, but it's the right move to make. And it's, it's a, it's a nice finish as well. So you, you see that he can bring more offense than some of the other guys that they've called up. Cause we talked about Witherspoon and what he brings physically. Um, we talked about Ian Mitchell being, you know, offensive minded as well, but Mason Lori has that skill set, and you saw it on display. Yeah. And I think when the Bruins need offense from your back end and they haven't been getting much of it this year, he's been one of the players to provide it. I think, I think he's kind of earning his, I think he's earning his way onto this team. Um, you can't tell me that Matt Grizzlick is an upgrade over him right now, just because of the way Grizzlick has played so far this year. It's been kind of just not the Grizzlick that we're accustomed to. Combine that with the fact that Lorai is producing and it is getting better game in and game out. And then, I mean, forward's a completely different player, right? So I, I just think that, I think I think the Bruins, I think Lorai is, is He's kind of a necessity, I think, right now. I think earlier in the year, it was kind of a luxury to have him, right? You were like, well, the Bruins have McAvoy and Lindholm and Carlo and Grizzlick and whatever, but they don't need Lori right now. But I think they kind of do need him right now um, for a lot of different reasons. I think in that losing streak, like, yeah, Scott, you mentioned it. It wasn't necessarily like the defense. I mean, everybody was playing not great hockey, but I think when you're forced to defend as much as the Bruins decor was forced to defend, there's only so much bend before you break. And I think that like when your offense isn't carrying enough weight on the other side of the ice and, and even in a playing field, it's like you're, you're skating uphill. Uh, so I think that had something to do with it as well. And, but yeah, I, I've liked Laura's game. I think he's a great, he's a great choice for an up bridge. Do you have a follow up on that? Well, I was just going to say, and this may be like somewhat of a, a tangent, but I, uh, Derek Forbert, you mentioned that there was no update on him, but he was like, he's not, it doesn't look like he's close right now um, as of practice on Thursday morning. So Grizzly, he, he, he hasn't, we haven't even seen him skating before. So no. as, as far as we know, he hasn't even started skating yet. No. And, and you know what? I, uh, I, I started to kind of creep into my mind watching the Buffalo game last night that as time goes on and, and as he's out longer, I feel like you notice his absence more like in, in the sample size of games that the Bruins have been without him. I, I know he's not the most flashy defenseman that they have. He's on their bottom pair, but he is another big body and he is a great penalty killer. And I feel like in some of those losses that the Bruins had or, or uh, you know, the winless streak that they were on, they really could have used someone like that because they're offensively, they weren't producing, but when they have forward as such like a strong defenseman on the back end and they have the strong goaltending sometimes we've talked about it many times that that can make up for some of the flaws that uh, the team has so I, I feel like you kind of really noticed it in that stretch of, of that winless stretch and I just bring it up I know it wasn't really to do with the most recent game but we also didn't talk about the two games before break and I just feel like the longer you go without forward, you you are missing a certain element of steadiness on the back end and especially on the penalty kill. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it's, like, to me, it's, it's, I do think maybe the penalty kill was missing him. I think there was a stretch there where over, like, five games, they gave up five power play goals on, like, 14 chances, um, which obviously is, like, way below the standards that they've set on the PK. But, I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm like downplaying forward, but I just think they they can if other guys play relatively well, I think you can overcome it. I especially think you'd be fine fine five on five, and you might have to change your penalty kill a little bit, but I think you should still be able to kill penalties with what you have. Well, like, what they're they, they didn't just go six for six, and I know Buffalo's missing Cage Thompson, so obviously that's a big factor there. But yeah, um, certainly a step in the right direction, anyways. But like, I, and I understand Witherspoon like is kind of a big body replacing him, but he's not Derek Forbert. Like, we, we at least need to give Forbert credit that he's a better defenseman than Witherspoon, and they're better with him in the lineup than they are uh, with Witherspoon or Mitchell in his place. And, like, we like what we see from Lorai, but you have these three guys that have been filling in that none of them have officially, like, taken a spot. And I, I don't know. I just – I've thought about – the absence of forward over the past few games, especially during the losing streak. I just wanted to bring it up because especially now that we kind of have this idea that it's, it's going to be a, a lo- pretty long-term situation for him to recover. So, it, you know, does it, does it pop up as an issue as we go along? Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I'm not even looking at Lorai's replacing forward. I'm looking at him replacing Grizzly because they're, they're like-minded players. Um, like it's kind of, yeah, like each, each defenseman has a different, role to play and and I don't think Laura is filling the type of role whether it's Derek Forbes or somebody like him um I'm looking for him to fill that that role of you know the offensive defense who can move the puck and make things happen in transition and um and be better defensively because you're getting the puck out of your own zone which is what Grizzly has been able to do for a long time he's just been having a down year and we just can't nobody can really argue that at this point um now Scott what is Charlie McAvoy not doing right now that when he's playing on top of his game, he is doing? Well, I don't think he's been as involved offensively. And I also, it seems like defensively he's been out of position like more than usual and has allowed like some gaps in the defensive zone where Again, because the Bruins play zone defense, like sometimes it's hard to tell exactly who's at fault. Like, was there miscommunication? Did someone not pick someone up? But it seems like he's been around the puck or like near guys who have gotten golden scoring opportunities, especially during the, the losing streak. Where I thought, honestly, like I thought that was some of the worst hockey we've seen from McAvoy in a while. And then I thought he was a little better against when against Buffalo on Wednesday, but I still think that was like a great game for him. And um, I, I'm sure playing with different partners is, is part of it. Grizzly's been in and out of the lineup. And as we said, like Grizzly hasn't been playing his best either. You know, Lorai's still learning. And I think when he gets put with McAvoy, like they're still learning each other and learning chemistry Hampus Lindholm's gotten bumped up to play next to him a couple times. Like, so I'm sure that's part of it is there's just things aren't as settled as maybe he's been used to over the last few years. But if, if you're the number one defenseman, you're one of the 
five best defensemen in the world, which I think we all believe McAvoy is when he's on top of his game. Um, you know, it is on you to like find a way to make it work. And I just think there's been, you know, probably like a handful of games now recently where it just doesn't really seem to be working when he's on the ice. Like he, he, they are just they're getting pinned in, they're giving up chances. He's not getting as many chances at the other end. Um, I'm not, I'm not super worried about him. Let's like we find out that, you know, that shoulder injury that he suffered right before Christmas, where he left the game and then quickly came back, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that's anything to be concerned about. He hasn't missed any time, um, unless you find out like, like that's lingering and affecting his play or something. I'm not concerned big picture long term, but right now I do think McAvoy's kind of in a bit of a rut and just not playing the way that we were used to seeing him play. I thought yeah. he I thought he started the season really strong too. Like I thought I, I remember us talking early on um that he and Pashnak had just been really excelling as leaders, as young leaders with uh with with Bergeron and Krejci moving on and Felino and other leaders. Um Obviously, Pasternak has continued to to produce at a at an all world level, but um, that's also kind of concerning too because like you did see that 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 high level of play earlier on this year. Yeah, I mean, and and to talk about Laura being an up and McAvoy, you know, maybe being a little bit of a down. They both have three goals this season. McAvoy obviously has a lot more points. I think he has like sixteen assists or something like that on top of the three goals. But you know, he. He can usually be looked at for a little bit more goal scoring production. Uh, I, I I think he's only kind of like uh, slightly down compared to, you know, some of the other people we've talked about this season. Um, he hasn't been playing his best, but he hasn't been playing terribly. Um, and he's also out there with Mason Lori now. And, and, you know, pairs have been switched around with the different injuries that have been happening on the back end. So I yeah, don't really have much more to add about McAvoy. There was there was one play against Winnipeg too that just kind of stood out to me is it, like McAvoy is he's supposed to shut plays down and he's supposed to shut plays down in his own end and create plays in the offensive zone um, and there was a play against the Jets where it was they were in transition and he just kind of went for like a a, a backdoor saucer pass floater to I forget who it was crashing the net Zaka Zaka crashing the net and. Like I get the I, it's it wasn't the worst play in the world. It, it, in fact, had it connected, it would have been a pretty sick goal. But it didn't connect, and it just it was kind of a soft play. It goes off the boards, and then it goes the other way. And the Jets like it was kind of a net mount scramble, and, and even then, McAvoy was like late getting back. And it's like, well, that turnover happens because of a pass that you misfired on, and now you're getting back kind of late and you're getting out muscled. It just, it was just a, a play that just kind of like showed me he's just not playing uh, to his standards right now. And that, that, that one play kind of was a microcosm, a little bit of some of his recent play, but a little yeah. bit. Of and so I didn't even look this up before I mentioned McAvoy as a down, but while you guys were talking, I just, just picked a date, December 1st. And looked up McAvoy's five on five numbers since then. So he's played seven games in the month of December uh, because he did miss a few with the other injury that he that he suffered. 
um, on that like hit to the face. Uh, in the month of December, in seven games, Charlie McAvoy has been on the ice for seven goals against at five on five, one goal for minus six at five on five. Worst, worst on the team. Um, and like if you if you pull back to like you know chances, shot attempts, it's it's not that bad, but like forty seven percent Corsi, forty six percent expected goals, like. Those just aren't Charlie McAvoy numbers. That's when he's playing his best. The Bruins are dominant when he's on the ice. So, um, yeah, it's it's always nice when when the numbers back up uh, what I was already feeling. Yeah, and it <laughs> of course he had to go there. It's a you know he uses it as like this is why I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, those those are are good numbers though, Scott, because it kind of illustrates why. And, and how important McAvoy's play is to the team in terms of winning, because it's no coincidence that their winless streak comes be, at the same time that Charlie McAvoy's numbers aren't as good as, as they normally are. So um, that's definitely a big factor in it. Does anyone else have an up or down? I think we got to most of ours, right? We good, Scott, looking at you. Nothing, no. nothing, nothing definitive, but like, like we, we kind of touched on Zaka a little bit. So, you know, having get sent to wing, he's been a little quiet. And then, you know, I, I, I don't think they've been the problem at all. I think they've just been one of a bunch of players that kind of were amidst a slump. But I, I also haven't thought that Carlo and Lindholm have been particularly um, elite for their standards. Um, certainly not during during a losing streak. But again, that to, to pick on a couple of players over the course of a long you know, four game losing streak is kind of unfair because everybody kind yeah. of was in the rope. I was gonna say I I agree during that losing streak. I would also note I thought Wednesday night was the best game Hampus Lindholm's played in a while. I thought thought he looked really good Wednesday night in Buffalo. Um I don't think he ended up with any points, right? He didn't get anything. No, but he, he helped create chances. Um I think you saw him start several transitions with, with clean breakouts and you saw like you saw that skating that we saw, you know, when he first got to Boston and early on last season, where like he makes one move to get past the first four checker and then just takes off and gets separation. And um, like that to me is like the sign of him being on top of his game is like pulling away from guys in transition. And you saw that a few times Wednesday night. So he also he had like one totally dominant shift in the offensive zone where um, he like deeped around a forward at one point, he made a couple of really nice passes that led to scoring chances. One was like a great, I don't even know like how he saw the lane. It was like a seam pass through, through traffic to Marchand. Um, So yeah, he would, he would be an up for me just looking at Wednesday. I agree with you. That pairing also was not great during the losing streak. And you know what? We could add to this. It's not who's up, who's down in terms of play. But uh, one last thing to talk about, Georgie Merkulov potentially coming up to Boston, uh, filling in as a center while Potra is away, and potentially if they decide to keep Zaka at wing. Scott, you have a little bit more on this. You were at practice. You kind of got a chance to talk to some people about this. Yeah, well, you know, there had been some speculation, I think, that uh, – so. Preface this by saying Georgie Merkulov remains on fire in Providence, had 
another two points, a goal and an assist Wednesday night. He now has nine goals and seven assists in his last 16 games. Um, he's up to like either second or third in the league in the AHL in scoring. Um, there was the holiday roster freeze, which ended at midnight early Thursday morning. So there was some speculation that like he might get called up Thursday. He didn't. Um, friend of the pod, Mark Allred, uh, tweeted at me that he he thinks he's still getting called up tomorrow, Friday. So that's something for people to keep an eye on. Uh, the Bruins practice at 11 a.m. Friday. So I guess we'll see if, if Mark Love's there, if they announce a call up before then. Um, you know, I, th- I think. Let me check Twitter real quick, guys, because, uh, you know, <laughs> this yeah, well, they like to. Right. I was going to say, you know, they're re- when they're going to announce it is 15 minutes after we log off. Um, but no, I, you, you could look at Wednesday night and be like, all right, well, the team bounced back. So do you really need a call up? To me at this point, it's almost beyond even like, do the Bruins need to call someone up? And it's, I think Georgie Merkelov has just forced their hand. Like he's playing so well that to me, it just seems like almost crazy not to give him a chance, especially during this period with Matt Potter gone to world juniors. Like it's, it's the perfect time to call him up and throw him at, you know, put him at third line center and see how he does. And if it turns into something longer than that, awesome. If there's some areas where he struggles and you have to send him back down after a few games, then, then that's fine too. But like, at least, at least you rewarded this incredible heater that he's on right now. Yeah, this is the Bruins are far removed. From, well, I shouldn't say far removed, but uh, they're definitely removed from the days of, of, uh, you know, Savard, Bergeron, Krejci up the middle, or Bergeron, Krejci, and Chris Kelly, or Charlie Coyle, or insert, you know, really, really adequate third-line center here. Like, the Bruins right now, center-ice, it's, it's very, it's, it's very much not set in stone. I mean, we're just, we were just talking about Morgan Geeky replacing Pavel Zaka, who's your assigned number one center to start the year. Charlie Coyle has spent time on the quote-unquote third line of times this year for Matt Potter, who's an 19-year-old rookie, who's now playing in World Juniors. And it's like this is – there is opportunity to be had if the Bruins aren't stubborn to see who's the best fit for for this team at center ice. And, and yes, he has absolutely forced uh, their hand, in my opinion, for that reason, because of his own play and and the lack of certainty up on the the main roster. And, yeah, Scott, you mentioned I think he's fourth in the league in scoring down in the AHL. And I just think, like I said last week, what's the point of having the farm system if you're not going to reward players that you feel as though can help you uh, in your, on your main club right now that have earned the opportunity? And I think he's earned the opportunity to get a look. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see if it comes down. Yes, in typical skate pod fashion, it probably won't break until after, like you said, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep our ears to the ground. Yeah, I mean, the point still remains. Like, if he's up, we're, we're kind of already talking about what he can do. And, and I'm thinking maybe you put him on the third line with, like, JVR, Merkelov, Frederick line. Is that – does that kind of seem like a good fit for him? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, G, yeah, with JVR and either either Frederick or Heinen, I guess one of Frederick or Heinen's pro- probably gets dropped to the fourth line. In this instance, not that either one deserves it because I think – 
I think those are two guys who have played pretty well recently. But that said, like, I also think they need to find a way to get more offense from the fourth line anyways. So dropping someone down is like, that's an added bonus to this is it makes you a deeper team. If Merkulov comes up and plays well and can handle a third line role. Um, because I think as much as we like, you know, Lauko Beecherstein or, you know, last night was Patrick Brown, but like it's a line that works hard, but also Jacob Lauko has, three points and zero goals in 23 games. Oscar Steen has one point in, I think, 19 games this season. Like, the Bruins aren't – they don't have enough high-end offensive talent to have a fourth line that doesn't score at all. So dropping someone like a Frederick or Hyatt down, while it could be viewed as a promotion – I mean, a demotion, um, it also lengthens your lineup and maybe brings – some needed offense to that fourth line and size. I think like, I think Johnny beach is a big boy, but Steen and Loco aren't, aren't there. I mean, they're both pretty, pretty short. Um, nothing against short Kings, but um, Frederick, I think would be a little bit <laughs> a better, a better option size wise down there um, in that situation. I also think like you don't want Mercury to be on the fourth line. Bridget's just shaking her head in disgust. I can't believe you just said short Kings on this podcast. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just, you know, wasn't expecting it, Brian. You caught me off guard. <laughs> I, I, I heard the phrase recently. I just had to go with it. Uh, but did, did you hear from Pete Blackburn? I feel I feel like he's he's the one who's trademarked it. I'm pretty sure he uses it like every other tweet. So and also like every episode of, of What Chaos. Yeah. Um, but also Merkulov is a fourth is is not an optimal player for the fourth line. I kind of want to see him with some skill. Kind of want to see him with some skill beyond Frederick, honestly. Um but I, I can I can see why the first couple of games, they, it, presuming he gets called up, that they want to just throw onto the first line or the second line. But, it, you know, if he were to play well in a third-line role, I, I wouldn't waste too much time before seeing what could he do with some higher-end skill because, again, well, and iron a little bit. You could see him on every line in the same game if Jim that's Montgomery true. just decides to just go for it again. So. That's true, too. That is very true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I think we're all in agreement here that like we'll be disappointed if he doesn't get an opportunity. Like, why? So it's the right time, right? Like, uh, other than this time, like obviously we don't know about injuries in the future, but this feels like the right time. Do you see them not? Like, is there? Do we, can we see the Bruins? I do over? see a situation where they they might not, but I don't even want to like get into that because like I have an intuition that before like Friday morning or, or like before midday Friday we hear that he gets called up, but like. Um, I think that the only reason they wouldn't call him up is because if they just think Frederick's fine at center, we don't want to, you know, we're not trying to complicate things. Um, but I think he deserves a call. That That's not in the question at all. Yeah. I also think like kind of where there's smoke, there's, there's fire. Like Mark has good sources in Providence and Rob Chalmers, who's at Ivan, Ivan, Ivan on Twitter. Like he tweeted something similar. So and those guys are like they're all over Providence and the prospects. And I don't, I don't think someone lied to them. Like I, you know, I don't think certainly don't think they're making it up. So I, yeah, I think it's probably happening Friday. But you know, we'll we'll see. It's not final until it actually does happen. Now, I'll also note Montgomery was asked about Merkulov, and you know, obviously wasn't going to come on and say like whether they're calling him up or not. But he did say that you know he texts with. Ryan Mujanel, Providence's coach, 
on a weekly basis and they kind of exchange notes on like, you know, how's the, who, like, who are the top forwards? If we need someone who are the top defenseman, how are guys doing? What are they improving? You know, what, what do they need to work on? Someone goes down, it's, you know, it's Mujanel asking, Hey, you know, what's the message? What do you want to see them work on? And, and Montgomery said, like, and we've heard this from other people that the most encouraging updates in Merkulov aren't just the points. It's his, he said, like, the way he's closing on plays in the defensive zone, his 200 foot game. And I think, especially with Montgomery, it's like when you're hearing that, if you're getting all those positive updates, in addition to all the points that we can see, like, it, that sounds like someone that's about to be called up to me. So, I, I think it's going to happen Friday, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, yeah, and there's really only one other thing that I think we wanted to talk about, guys, and did you do we want to touch on Potter and World Juniors at all? I mean, there's a little bit of news there. It's not it's not a whole lot, but, um, yeah, I feel like we should touch on it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he has – so he has two goals in two games. Now, Canada beat Finland 6-2, to I think bit of a down year for Finland. They're not as strong as they usually are. And then Canada just absolutely crushed Latvia 10-0. Um, both of Padres' goals were kind of in garbage time. One was an empty netter. One was the goal that made it 10-0. So um, I think he's played well. I've, I've, I watched all of the first game against Finland and most of the, the second game against Latvia. And um, a little quieter against Latvia, but He's creating chances. He's had good chemistry with Matt Savoy, who's a, a Buffalo first-round pick um, and has been one of his wingers most of the time. Um, you know, the, the big tests are going to be they play Sweden in the group stage, Sweden another one of the favorites, and then the knockout round. Like, that to me is going to be more telling. These still kind of feel like warm-up games so far, um, you know, for the top teams. Like, I think just before we're recording, U.S., on Thursday, uh, I think beat Switzerland eleven to two. Like some of these games are just very lopsided. Like I, I know some people, like some people tweeted at me that they were, they didn't love the fact that Potter only had one point against, you know, on a ten nothing blowout win. I just can't get worked up over how he plays against Latvia. Like I, quite frankly, just don't really care about that. Um, I want to see how he does in those bigger games to come. How did he do against US in the? in the um, warm-up round? Uh, I, yeah, he did score. Um, yeah, I, I missed that game, to be completely honest. I, I was out that day, but so I don't have, I don't have, like, detailed notes. But from what I understand, like, he's played well. I mean, he's been in Canada's top six the whole time. So, um, and they're still, they've kind of moved things around and, they're they're pulling a good joke on everyone by listing Macklin Celebrini as their fourth line center. Yeah, um, I saw he's that. Been a bit, like, been the best yeah, player in the no. tournament so far. So, um, mm. yeah. Well, it's it's you know he should be in their top six when you go down Canada's roster and you see all these you know Q teams or you know a couple uh, NCAA teams and then you see Matt Potter's name and you see Boston NHL. Um, you know you probably should be um, doing pretty well in this tournament. So. Well, I will say one of the things I noted that like doesn't show up on the score sheet is that uh, these kids are all like, 
I mean, I'm calling them kids because they're still pretty young. Um, sorry if I'm not supposed to be calling them kids, but to me they are. Um, and so these guys are all really high draft picks and they're a lot of them are shoot first and you kind of notice Potra not getting chances on some in, in some of these situations because there have been several times where he was wide open like I've seen him go back door a few times he was open he doesn't get the pass because the other player shoots like there I've noticed that it's I don't want to say selfish but Everybody has such a great shot. They, if they see an option to shoot, they shoot. They're not making the pass. So even though Potter's going to the right areas, sometimes he's not getting the puck. Um, he's had the puck on his stick less because uh, the end, by the way, these guys all have something to prove out of this too. Uh, they're all trying to make the NHL. They're all drafted besides um, Celebrini, obviously. Um, so they all have their own little like thing to prove. And, and I, I kind of started to notice that, a lot of them are shoot first, not pass first, where Patra might be the other way around. And that has led to him getting fewer scoring chances for sure. Yeah, he had he set up Matt Savoy for like three or four just great A chances in the Finland game and and got one himself set up by Savoy. Um and just none of them went in. Finland's goalie was was playing really well until like the dam finally broke a little. But uh yeah, I thought, I thought he played really well in that game. And, and like I said, maybe a little quieter against Lavia, but I just – that was – I mean, that was a scrimmage. Like, uh, yeah. And it was just way better. And by well, the way, they, they run the score up for a reason. It's not – they're not just being mean. Like, they run the score up because it does sometimes affect the tiebreakers. So, like, the the better your, you know, your goal scored is, you're, you're, you might be a team that you're head-to-head with. So they're, they're blowing up the score sheet because it does turn out to matter sometimes. So, so it's not just like being mean, like stop eating up on Latvia. You, you have to do it. Yeah. No, I mean, look, ultimately Patra has, he has found the back of the net a couple of times, whether it's, you know, pre-tournament, empty net, garbage time, whatever. He's seen the puck go in. Um, hopefully that continues. The only the only way the Bruins lose this experiment of sending him down the world juniors is, as I said in the past, if he were to get hurt um, or if he just goes down and for whatever reason, his confidence doesn't increase because he's not scoring and he's snake bitten down a world juniors. Then you got to go up to the NHL and, you know, be a top two center. It's like, you gotta, it's, you have to, you have to kind of produce. So, um, you know, they're betting on him to do so he's going to do so he has been, but he hasn't, probably been dominating um maybe just yet but there's there's much tournament to go so yeah i'm definitely worth keeping an eye on and yeah and and you know for for us uh, americans like the u.s team is the betting favorite and um they're expecting for anyone who likes boston college just you know right you're gonna get a good chance to see a lot of guys from bc so Mm -hmm. and um and uh what's his name uh christ the bu defenseman Lane Hudson. Yeah, Lane Hudson. Uh, yeah. He's got a little bit of Kale McCarr in him, the way he kind of just yeah. in is kind of north-south player. Yeah, the, the, the overtime winner he scored in that exhibition game against Canada was filthy. Mm-hmm. Like, just goes down to the ice to, to take away, steal the puck, and then mm-hmm. just, like, toe drags it to the front and snipes top corner. But... Brian, don't get – Scott going about a BU player. Like, well, don't say, don't bring one up and then just be like, we're supposed to end this podcast. 
Do you want to know how I can get Scott to stop talking about a BU player when you mention that it's a future Montreal Canadiens player? Ah, yeah, True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be wondering why they didn't draft Lane Hudson in the first round. He fell, fell until late second to Montreal. And uh, yeah, that's that's insane. It, I mean, it's because of his height. If he was two inches taller, he would have been a top fifteen pick. I mean, I, I get it. Proof, no one, like, you know, short, short defensemen are out. No one wants short defensemen. Short kings. The short. When, yeah, when when they're as talented as Lane Hudson, I I don't know. I think he's gonna be just. He's gonna be just fine in the NHL. Yeah, he'll be fine. He'll he's he's gonna be good. He was a steal in the second round, that's for sure. So anyway, that's enough about BU Lane Hudson. Mm-hmm. That's probably enough about anything this this episode. Yeah, but I agree. I'm one other though. quick thing I was gonna say on World Juniors. Um, another Bruins prospect, Dan Zlashmelis, is uh, Latvia's captain and first line center, um, which is you know great for him. Unfortunately, they he and they had zero chance against Canada. But you know, mm-hmm. and are you gonna are you gonna tell people where he goes to school? Uh, where's that, Bridget? UMass Amherst. Indeed, yes. Yes. So there we go. Got he that he was starting to play better, like right before break too. He got a delayed start because there were eligibility issues, which I could I could go on about that because I think the NCAA is very silly when it comes to this stuff. But um, yeah, so he missed like the first several weeks of the season, um, but had a few points right before break. So. You know, another guy who could use World Genius to kind of springboard into the second half. Is uh have have BU and BC played each other this year? In uh... not yet. They have they have three games against each other in like a two week span, uh, at the end of January, and then the first round of the Bean Pod. Yeah, because I was gonna say, yeah, they're, they're one and two in the country right now, aren't they? Yep. That's okay, gonna that's gonna I be like an awesome two week stretch. Mm. I know what we could do. We could go to the Bean Pod together. That's how I can give you guys your Christmas gifts. You can all go to the bean pot. Perfect. Very good. Um, all right. So I guess, yeah, so we'll we'll be dropping this on Friday morning, correct? Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. Okay, so then all right. So yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. Enjoy your weekend. Any final any final announcements? Scott, you look at happy happy new year. We won't mm-hmm. I don't think we'll be dropping a another episode before New Year. So that's right. Oh, how yeah. silly of me to forget that. <laughs> I don't know. Between Christmas and New Year's, like, does anybody know what day it is? It, it all just blends together. It's just it's just like holiday two weeks. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. That, thanks for pointing that out, Scott. I'm, I'm in the office today, and literally the only other two people here are Mike Cadillac and Andy Hart, who are filling in on the afternoon show. I have not seen another person, like not another body. No, nobody's there, no. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I hope you all have a wonderful, uh, hope you guys can, everybody can reflect on 2023 and then of course, uh, have a happy new year and look forward to 2024. Um, but yes, so thank you all for listening and we will talk to you very soon.